The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 41 of The Ascent of Board Games. Happy New Year. We have left 2021 behind, and assuming that in the two weeks between when we record this and when we release it, we have not been hit by a giant meteor or invaded by man-eating crabs, hopefully it'll be better than 2021. It's going to be lobsters, not crabs. Well, or what, Sorry. the third year of the Everything COVID evolves trilogy? into crabs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what I'm worried is that the COVID trilogy is going to pull a George R.R. R. Martin and turn into 12. Mm. Ugh. Really lost its way in the third book. I don't <laughs> you have no idea. Don't worry, y'all. I bought a wonderful space and a shelter from this uh, company called Vault Tech. Oh, great. <laughs> we are here to talk about games we liked or gaming things we enjoyed in 2021. Maybe look a little bit forward to next year. And as Mike was saying while we were setting up, we haven't really played as many games as we'd like. So these lists are going to feel a little bit constrained. You know what? I think I take it back a little bit. It's not that we haven't played as many games. It's we've been desperately trying to play our way through a bunch of campaign games. Yeah. And coordinating schedules is not any easier than it ever has been. There's still so much we want to do and so much coming that we'll need to get. Yeah. All those Kickstarters that we've loved, lusted after, wanted so badly are sitting in factories, on boats. (laughs) In ports. Yeah. Someday our Kickstarters will come. We're going to talk about some of the stuff we did play and did enjoy and hopefully some things that we'll see next year. I'm going to make Jason start. Okay. Getting started with a weird one that I think Frank has already expressed a lot of love for. Cosmic Frog, released in 2020, designed by Jim Felly from Devious Weasel Games. I got to play this at the uh, little AFK gaming convention me and my partner ran earlier this year. And it's it's a very bizarre game. It's basically a skirmish game. We're playing mile-high frogs that are jumping around on a shard of land floating through the ether. <laughs> and your frog's entire goal is to consume that, that land. You consume it into your gullet, and then you place it into your, your vault, is what they call it, trying to basically make patterns like three of a kind or stacking them on top of each other for scoring purposes. But where the game comes together is where you're just beating the shit out of each other as giant frogs. And each of the frogs will have randomly distributed special powers. As the game goes on, comets start hitting the shard of land and destroying the land, and you start mutating and you get new powers. It's just a pile of chaos. J- Jason, is, is everything okay at no, home? No, nothing is okay this year, first of all. <laughs> that sounds... Inexplicable. That sounds like something I saw during my college years. I was yeah. <laughs> what powers, are you on? The powers are really hilarious, right? Like they they vary wildly in how powerful they are. And it's kind of a pressure luck mechanic, mm-hmm. but the way the pressure luck mechanic works is the game doesn't enforce a pressure luck mechanic. All of your friends do, <laughs> right? So you're eating these pieces of land, right? And you score, you're playing a little tile placement game mm-hmm. in essence on your board, but also your friends can punch you and <laughs> knock them out of your stomach <laughs> to take them from you. Or you can deposit them in your vault. But if you go to deposit them in your vault, you're now spending actions to deposit them in your vault instead of getting more points. So someone who is aggressive, if everyone's being passive, someone who's being aggressive and gobbling up everything could potentially score a bunch of points. But they might not because when you vomit them up into your vault, they come out in the opposite order you flip them in, right? So (laughs) first in, last out. First in, last out. (laughs) And then you have to place them on this little like nine by nine tableau and you get points for like having the same rows and the same columns and like the game is wacky and it's really great. I think wacky is a mild way of putting it for everything I've heard. No, it's crazy. You can literally punch a frog off the shard into the ether and then (laughs) when they're in the ether, anyone can hit them and if they're in the ether, punch them into the higher dimensions where they're literally off the board and they have to like basically try and roll themselves back into the The game. The new equivalent of lost in time and space. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hey guys, that's not how frogs work. (laughs) (laughs) 
at all. But it's how frogs Prove work when we're in Smash Bros. If you look at the art, you can see where the inspiration came from, by which I mean lots and lots and lots of drugs. Mm -hmm. But oh, yeah. um, the art's amazing. I absolutely It's love like it. the official board game of Mellow Mushroom. It <laughs> yeah, it might as well be, right? <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of random fun. Like, we had a blast with it. I'm looking forward to getting on the table again. It plays up to six, which I can't imagine how much chaos that ensues when you play with that many players. Is this one of these games that can play six no i think really play, i think it would actually play well at six because okay. then it's it's a whole bunch of okay i want to get this piece of land but that puts me three spaces close to joe and joe's got the long tongue attack card so he can hit me from three spaces away and you're just like oh crap what do i do and the, the other good thing which adds to the chaos is you don't know when you're gonna go you <laughs> everybody nice. everybody gets two initiative cards and you take every all of everybody's initiative cards shuffle them up and that's how you figure out who goes next Everyone will get, over the course of time, the same number of actions, but <laughs> it might be red, then red, and then green, then green, then blue, then yellow, then yellow, then green, then green. I'm just looking at, at one of the reference cards in here. A siphon is a vertical stack of one highland between two lowlands, all of the same land domain. Yep. You may have only one operating siphon per land domain. Correct. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's true. Very oh, important. I sense a failure in this game. This is not a game you could actually play while stoned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If you look at the manual, like the first like two pages of the manual are like lore. You're like, yeah, what backstory. is going on? <laughs> that is a glimpsing into the abyss that this, I don't need to do. Is this a game or someone's fever dream? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, looking at the art, it's, it could be a little bit of both. But uh, I highly recommend it. Like, I don't know how easy it is to find now. I had to go pick it up in person at Gen Con, but... Mm -hmm. I had been hearing about it for a while, and I wanted to give it a shot, and I'm really glad I picked it up, because it's one of those games where, like, when you're reading the instructions, like, oh my god, this is going to be really complicated, I don't understand it. Then you're playing, you're like, oh, I just punched this frog into the ether, no problem. <laughs> just I mean, do it. Yeah. I'm in favor of a game company named Devious Weasel Games, yes, so, yes. so that's all good. <laughs> all right, Joe, how about you? Tainted Grail, designed by, why Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> Go on, Joe. Kristloff, Polariski, and Marcin Swercott. Sure. Nailed, Nailed it. Nailed it. And also, uh, we're sorry. Always, always. Designed by Awakened Realms. My full box of all the things finally arrived, and we've been having a lot of fun with it. We haven't been able to meet as often as I would like to play, but I'm really digging the story and I really like the swerve on like Arthurian legend that mm -hmm. the game's lore represents. I think it's really fascinating. I think this is the game that I wanted Seventh Continent to be. Yes. Because it fills a very similar niche as Seventh Continent with the exploration. It's not as puzzly, but I like the dungeon delving aspect of it a little bit more, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. The characters all have cool story bits going on woven through. Obviously, as we've mentioned before on the podcast, we have done some house ruling to get rid of the truly ludicrous level of grinding that the original rules require. That's going to become a theme this episode. Honestly, it's a theme for everything Awakened Realms yeah. produces. Yeah. You take out all the grindy bits and you mm. have a good game. I mean, to be fair, it's now officially supported. Yeah. I'm quite enjoying it on those rare occasions we get together and play it. Yeah. I had been playing it with the original rules with two-player, I can't imagine how grindy it would be at four-player with the original rules as written. I mean, for us, it's been challenging. It's been close. We've had to think hard, but we've been able to get through all this stuff. I can't imagine playing it by the original rules. It's just nuts. Yeah. In my mind, this is the trade-off you're making. You're trading off the ability to do some exploration and enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm for turning off the grindy bits. Right. And like the big problem with the rules as written was that when you relight them in here, everybody has to be in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like everybody go out and then yeah, you get three like a turns turn later, or two to you explore. have to be back yeah. here. With a bunch of resources, because if you're not gathering those resources, you're not going to have enough to light it. And if you are gathering those resources, I don't know how you're advancing the story. And it's like, if you don't light it, your map disappears, right? Correct, and you start taking damage if yeah, you're off it's the, real uh, bad. Ma the, the lit yeah. spots. When Courtney and I were playing it, we'd literally have an entire evening session doing nothing but gathering resources to light a stupid men here yeah. and then have to stop because it'd been like two hours. It was It's ridiculous. Mm. But if you get rid of that, the game is quite fun. Yeah, I, honestly, it's the narrative that was driving me forward because mm -hmm. like, I really liked the story and I wanted to see where it was going. And there's a lot of potential interesting ways for it to twist and turn. Uh, we made it to chapter 11. Can't wait to see where you guys make it. I think there's a total of 13 chapters, or at least that's how far the cards go. So mm -hmm. we were close. Yeah. Mm. There's like a sequel campaign and a prequel campaign. Yes, so there's a ton harder. of content there. <laughs> From what I understand, they're very hard. I'm like, oh, good. I've also heard they're a lot better. 
They're they're better tuned as from oh, well, as well. Well, they had okay. more time to work on them for sure. Yep. So my number three is going to be the initiative, which was oh, yeah. published this past year by. Uh, Corey Konezka from Unexpected Games. This is a game that looked cute and I didn't have any real high expectations for. It's a neat little cooperative puzzler. It's sort of like a game within a game or a game within a story. It's a meta thing. But basically, you're reading this comic book about these kids in, I want to say the 80s, kids on bikes era, who find an old board game and they are playing the game and then mysterious things are happening in the rest of their life as shadowy figures and conspiracies are haunting them. The game mechanics are pretty straightforward. You're breaking into various areas and turning over tiles and trying to get symbols that will unlock a sort of Wheel of Fortune puzzle thing. They're not super hard to solve, but the variations that they keep throwing in are still interesting. There are other puzzles and codes and hints and things hidden in the comic book. It's fun. It's a great family or small group thing to just play through. The individual games are 30, 45 minutes. Yeah. I think there's like 12 or 15 games in the whole campaign. There's a bunch of additional bonus content unlocked after you finish it. Megan and I played through this over the course of a couple weeks, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. I think the low expectations going into this game did a lot to really lift it up because it's one of those games where like we also went into it knowing nothing and expecting yeah, i'm trying to remember where i even heard of it i think it was almost sort of like sit down and shut up or something right mm-hmm. Some, something online right i don't know i knew about it as soon as they announced it so i was yeah. babbling about it sure yeah maybe maybe i heard about no. it from you i heard about it from someone joe it was episode 34 of this very podcast I remember seeing it, I was like, oh, that looks fun. And then we started playing it. It was like, this it is really was, good. It was like an amazing experience. The experience we had around it was really like the surprise of it being as good as it is. Because yeah. it is, it doesn't look like it's going to be as good as it is. And it's really good. It's not like groundbreaking, but like the story is super cute. All the it's, characters it's are super polished. cute. Everything so fits together oh, really well. The meta's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I remember I had looked at it and I was like, oh, that looks fine. And then I remember you guys telling me how surprisingly good it was. And I went out and picked up the copy and I'm glad I did. I mean, I think the meta was so good that I created a little insane journal that we still have to put <laughs> some pictures of somewhere around. It's important to like, have an insane journal. It's one of those games where I got out a journal. I'm like, I'll take notes for this puzzle solving mystery game. <laughs> and then the puzzles were not that hard. So it's not like, if you love puzzles, you'll love this game. No, it's centered around the fact that like a family with kids could solve these things. Yeah, nothing about it felt frustrating at any mm-hmm. point. It yeah, was I mean, there's, like, there's the push sense. your luck thing. And when you're getting to the end, you know, it's like the second time through the deck, potentially any card or any pair of cards could end the game. So generally, by the time you get to that point, you're pretty close to figuring out the solution. That is the only thing I think that could be frustrating, but it rarely turned out that way for us. It's like, all right, we don't need to take any cards. I think we know what we're doing. Yeah, I think there was one scenario that we found frustrating, and that's just because we didn't see it functionally. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. We should play some more of those uh, bonus missions. Sure. I mean, like, the bonus missions are fun. The thing that really drove us, though, like, we consumed it really quickly Mm -hmm. uh, between Mike, Jason, Curtis, and I, and it was the primary story is what drove a lot of our initial excitement. There is definitely another puzzle in that postgame, though. There is, oh, 100%. Yeah. There's, there's a big meta puzzle that we haven't solved. Yeah. Ooh, okay. I do love a meta puzzle in the game. But, like, it's just good fun. I think you said it well. It, it all snaps together very cleanly. There's no... You are clearly playing a game from a very experienced designer who knows how to make things click together. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for more games from that mm-hmm. So excited. Yeah, it ticks off that escape room. Yeah, kind of. exactly. It's sort of escape roomy and sort of puzzle hunty and just fun. And legacy-ish, because, yeah, there's it's a light rules legacy. over time. So yeah. yeah, right. So my game that has consumed most of my year, unsurprisingly, and Joe is about to dive over the table at me when Ooh, I say yes. <laughs> is Arkham Horror, the living card game from Fantasy Flight and developer, why did I not have this ready? I thought you could just look at your tattoos, Mike. I mean, you think think I would actually know it because she's actually very active in the community and she is a huge proponent of like, hey, I'm going to reach out and see what the community is doing and I'm going to communicate with them. She's done a very good job. Nate French and MJ Newman. MJ Newman. Oh, yeah. MJ Newman and Nate French. I mean, this game continues to be the scale at which I want to experience the Arkham universe. Like we've talked in the past about how 
Eldritchor is that kind of globe-trotting global problems. This one, it's a lot more personal. I still really like the character development that you get through the decks of cards. I still like the stories that they tell. And I like the role-playing elements in the game. So if you're looking for a living card game to get into and you like Arkham Horror, now is actually the time to do it because they're completely revamping their sales model, which has not been the smoothest of transitions, but almost entirely through the fault of Asmodee rather than anything. Yeah, I might recommend that maybe you wait six months to get into this game so that all the Asmodee getting sold Mm -hmm. falls over and finishes. Yeah, that's probably not helping. But like they've just, I want to say realized, they've just changed their sale model from the LCG like blister packs to just here's a box of everything you need for this cycle, which is a bigger upfront purchase, but feels like the smarter way to go. Yeah. So Mike, if someone was curious about this game and wanted to maybe see it being played, where would they go to do that? I mean, they could join me at Codab Games on Twitch every Sunday and the occasional Saturdays as we play through it. You're welcome. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) You're my number one fan. But no, this game continues to be really enjoyable. It has, I think, a really good difficulty curve for a co-op game where it is hard and can be a punch in the face but also feels really rewarding when you get a victory. Yeah, it's got that nice balance of a co-op where you look at what your mission objectives are, you look at the current state of the board, you're like, this is impossible, yet somehow you barely manage to squeak it out. That's like the the sweet spot where you're just like, I don't see how we're going to do this. I think we're screwed. And you're like, well, we beat it with one doom left. Yay! I hear what you're saying, and I get the idea that that would be rewarding. It's just like, it seems like every time I'm watching you, it's like, oh, no, we fail this one. We fail this one. We failed the other one, too. We failed this whole sequence here. I don't know why we're all still alive. (laughs) But, like, it also gives you that kind of Arkham pulp moment of, like, all right, I've got two bullets in my Derringer, and I'm staring down Azathoth. Let's do this. (laughs) I mean, it does have the, you can fail forward, which is nice. Yeah. (laughs) No, like enforced well you have to restart the entire mission again which i hate so uh there's that but yeah you can you can definitely get to a point where like this is this is a bad situation but it feels thematically appropriate yeah right it's like in one of the scenarios there or in several of the scenarios there are just you now lose the campaign but it's like you failed to stop the portal to another dimension opening and worlds have merged together everybody everywhere dies and time ceases to exist you lose and you're like yeah, yeah, that's, that's about right. That's the ending to this campaign <laughs> that fair. we've got. Our characters struggled, they died, and now everything is ended. To be fair, Mike, I, I would argue sometimes losing and becoming lizard people is better ending than actually defeating the ancient. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's certainly a well-made game. It is not my cup of tea. And I think that has a lot to do with the way Mike introduced me to the game. <laughs> so I mean the same mission. Introducing over and over again. a campaign game is tough. Especially, Especially when, when you introduce it to four different groups with me there and only play the first mission four different times. Yeah. Well, we did several different first missions, but still. And we have a whole podcast about it that never got yes. released. Yeah. And then Mike <laughs> chose to not have me play ever again by us recording a podcast and then him never editing a single bit of it. In my infinite free time. <laughs> I'm on it. It's coming. You just wait. Give us some happier news, Frank. Oh, happier news. So yeah, like in October, we were looking at a case where time to start our new campaign game. And we looked at Tainted Grail and uh, we tried it without the nice, friendly, (laughs) fixy rules. Mm -hmm. And Sandy called out for Etherfields. This is by one of my favorite designers, Michael Orax, also published by Awaken Realms. Which means that there's an easy mode. (laughs) It's not as necessary as Tainted Grail. This game has spoilers on top of spoilers. Right, there's there's layers. Spoilers. Starts out with a really lengthy rulebook. Some baffling, what do I do now? It's actually a breeze to teach if you just walk through. Yeah, the introductory scenario is really well put together, I think. Yeah, totally. We've played quite a bit through it and it keeps up our interest there are just weird oddities in Etherfields. you're basically stuck in this surreal dreamish world where you hop into other dreamish surreal worlds and do stuff like a dungeon crawl it's based on a really simple resource system where you collect resources by skill checks or playing cards from your deck and it's definitely a deck builder you keep your deck throughout the entire campaign and are frequently adding cards to that deck 
But a lot of it depends on just skill checks to do things. There's as well combat against monsters that will start roaming the map coming for you. And they aren't necessarily killed just by shooting at them. Often there's some twist or something. So you're having to prowl through and explore the landscape, which involves skill checks and collecting resources in order to figure out what you're supposed to do as this thing is smashing its way through walls, trying to eat your face off, etc. But each of the dreams as you go deeper include different ideas and ways of manipulating the environment. In particular, because you can overlay a card on some parts of the each scenario, overlay cards on top to change the map, sometimes in ways that stunning will force you to do things that are horrific. I still don't know what the story is. No <laughs> clue. It's so bad. Have you figured out who you are yet? No. I got this. It's high on my list of campaign games I would like to get into. And I think I know what you're saying about like the, the quote unquote easy mode isn't as required in this. I think it would really feel it at the beginning because basically yeah. you have to get a certain number of resources in the, the sort of overworld to go into another dream. And it usually takes like two laps around the board and there's a limited number of encounters at the start of the game and one of them is a fight. So you're going to have like the same fight between every dream mm -hmm. until you gradually start building up more. Even then when it builds up more fights, some of those fights are just kind of tedious and looking yeah. at them there, we are playing with the continuous dream mode. Yeah. Are almost unwinnable. It's like, why do I go through that? Right. Exactly. But the fights are, those encounter fights are also preparation to slowly build up your, cause you have a concept called progress cards. You lay mm -hmm. face up in front of you. Mm -hmm. One of the characters is completely about building up a ton of progress cards that he can use. Yeah. One of the characters, though, is interesting because the free spirit can screw with reality. And it's one of the starting cards in her deck is to be able to basically overlay the icon on anything. So it's like, oh, yeah, there were stairs there. And poof, there are stairs. <laughs> on, since stairs always connect to other stairs mm -hmm. on the map. Well, depending on the map. Right. You can suddenly, you know, add some stairs somewhere. Hmm. completely shortcutting walls and things. It almost seems game-breaking mm -hmm. in some ways. Or, you know, if something depends on a symbol of a suit, because the turn cards have four suits, and certain things will happen on those suits. But if you suddenly go, yeah, I think that's a spade instead, you suddenly change, oh, no, nah, those don't spawn. Or, <laughs> or, you know, that shows up here instead. Right. Or. It, it looks really interesting. I would love to dive deeper anyway. Yeah, yeah same it's here. great. I, I desperately want to play it. I got intimidated by the early reviews and reading the rule book. I'm like, what is going on here? Jason, get some free time in your life. We right. need to play games, mister. Yeah, it's a breeze to teach. Once you get it, it's not that hard. But getting it because the rule book is so leaving out things, hiding things, and yeah. Yeah, we really do got to start opening up our free time again. Yeah, you do. Because I also want to play Etherfields, because I know it's been on our list for a while, but at the rate we're going, it's going to be many, many years. We need to commit to a weekly campaign night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jason, what else you got? So, speaking of campaign games, uh, my number two is Aeon's End Legacy that I played through with Mike Curtis and uh, Joe here. Released in 2019 by Nick Little and Kevin Riley by Indie Boards and Cards. I've played Aeon's End a number of times. I own, I think I own War Eternal at home. And I always forget just how satisfying that gameplay is. It's so it's so dirt simple, but it's so compelling because essentially it's a deck builder, but it's the only deck builder I've ever played where you don't ever shuffle your, your cards mm -hmm. at all. In fact, if you, you've messed up badly. Uh, you, you basically control how your deck is composed over time as you play down the cards. And I'd never played the Legacy version. I think Mike's played through it like three times now. Yep. And... I wanted to play it and they had an extra copy because of course they do. And it, it's great because like it, it does a great job of starting you off like even weaker than their regular characters in a base game. And then as you build up over time, you get more and more powerful. Now, the plot is it's like traditional, let's say. Sure. Yeah. sure. Okay, so I'm going I'm to sum up the plot of... <laughs> and then this boss attacked. Non-spoiler, one sentence. Are you ready? never meet your heroes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's that's a good summation <laughs> like, yep 
I don't want to ruin any of the things that happen in, in terms of the development of the game, but there's some clever things that they do that I really liked. Is there another one they're planning for another legacy game? There's not another legacy game, but one of the things that I'm super interested in doing now that we've finished Legacy is after the Legacy game came out, all of their expansions, I'm pretty sure it's all of them, have like a campaign version. Oh. So it's not Legacy, but it is... When you, when you are ready to fight the next boss, open this envelope and we'll show you all the rules. Yeah. Here's the bare minimum you need to play this game. Mm-hmm. Then the next time you play it, here's just a couple more rules. And I really, really like that. And I think we're going to talk about that in another game coming up, too. Yeah, maybe. It was a great experience. The games themselves don't take super long, and the bosses are so profoundly different from each other. Yeah, some of them are really interesting. (laughs) They do some very clever things with them. You always feel like you're encountering something new, as Mm -hmm. opposed to just like, well, time to grind down this boss. How the hell are we going to deal with that? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, And the characters play very differently. As you play through, you get more, I'd say more specialized is Mm kind of how we focused on doing it, and I think you have to. And after every every successful mission or maybe even if you fail i'm not sure you get to choose new cards to become part of your marketplace mm-hmm. so you're cycling things in and out and kind of tailoring it towards the types of cards that you like so it's not quite as random as a regular game would be set up and most importantly you get little stickers of equipment you yes. can put on your character mm-hmm. yes <laughs> you get to dress up your little doll <laughs> well an we all action love that. figure right <laughs> The one thing I will say after having now played this three times, and it did not stick out to me as much the first two times, but this most recent playthrough, when you are building that new market, every time you beat a boss, it gives you some new cards that have a new mechanic. So it's like every boss introduces a new mechanic and you get four cards which you can pick two of that have the new thing and you quickly go from the old thing to the new thing and if you don't really maximize on that new thing it's a lot harder to win yeah i could see that i don't know if that was a great way to explain that i mean functionally teaching you how to actually play the game right because that's how you have to play every game of aeon's end Mm -hmm. is you have to make use of your strengths that happen to come out in your market deck Mm -hmm. and ignore the things that are traps like so in some ways like it's kind of teaching you the meta of aeon's end in some ways right Mm -hmm. yeah because like one of them is silence which if you cast silence on something it just doesn't activate and if you don't play those cards or if you pick one of the silence cards that is less optimal than the other you're going to have a much harder time with the boss that you fight when silence is introduced. It's almost like, here's a mechanic that will directly counteract the abilities of the next boss. You're going to want go. <laughs> yeah. I only played through it once, but I really enjoyed that campaign. No. It was good. And that is such a minor nitpick of like mm-hmm. the game that only comes out in three that if it's your first time playing it, like just go hog wild. It's great. And the second time we played, I played with a group that is not the most optimizing of of players, and we won, and it was totally fine. Awesome. Yeah, my only recommendation, and I only found this out after we finished our legacy campaign, there's a delightful app that someone made for the turn order cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really tedious yeah, I could see <laughs> to that. do that every single round. So I would highly recommend that. It's like 99 cents. Well <laughs> worth it. it. But yes, I look forward to playing more of that with y'all. And we now have these characters to take into the campaign. There are so many new things to play, Mike. Oh, can we also talk about for a moment, because this is just one of the few instances where this is true. I have never had an issue with any of their Kickstarters ever. Like, this is a company that does Kickstarter. They have their shit together. Don't they have their own production facilities? I think that's why, right? I don't think so, no. Any boarding to games? No, they're they're doing them in China. Oh, for some reason I thought they had their own stuff. But like, they are one of the few games that I still Kickstarter. Whenever I see a Aeon's End game pop up, I'm like, I'm going to just pay for that. And six I, I to eight them. months in the future, I will get a game and it'll be great. I want to see what an all-in bundle now would be like for Aeon's Oh, Aeon's God. End. It'd be hilarious, right? <laughs> Madness. And they will. Ages of things. Those are still available. <laughs> and like, you can do it. And highly recommended because, like I said, I've gotten like three expansions now that haven't opened yet. <laughs> but like every time I'm like, yep, I'm going to get it. Do they have more cards than Sentinels of the Multiverse yet? Mm, Probably. (laughs) 
Joe? Am I again? You are again. Yeah, We're going again? clockwise. Good lord. Why? You're part of the show, Joe. I don't know how I feel about that. My second game is a game we actually just played extremely recently, by that I mean last week, which is Cuphead, the fast-rolling dice game. The designer is Patrick Marino. The designer is the OP, which is... U.S. Opley's new U.S. Opley's new name. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. The Op. Just the Op. <laughs> the OP. <laughs> This week on the CW. Exactly, exactly. They're they're a TV or station. Or the OC, now. yeah. And you know, I saw the board game originally and I was like, eh, it'll be fine, whatever. And then I saw a review of it and I realized that they have individual decks for a bunch of the different bosses. And I was like, oh, they probably do some really cute stuff with that. And they do, unsurprisingly. The way the game works is you have a handful of dice, six dice in total, and there's an enemy deck that you draw cards from, and the enemy deck might indicate This round, the three cards are you need to jump, move, and then duck. There's a die face for each of those things. Mm -hmm. And that's just explaining how you survive this round. (laughs) And if you also want to do damage to them, you also have to roll finger guns to also shoot them. And so the game has a very fun tension around making sure that you don't take damage, but seeing if you can sneak in a couple of shots in between all this other stuff that you're dealing with. And so it's very frenetic, very hectic. It actually makes it feel quite a bit like the video game, which is also very frenetic. It makes use of Cuphead's, frankly, ridiculously excellent artwork assets. For sure. It's a whole heck of a lot of fun, and the way the decks are put together are really entertaining. It's worth noting you have... 20 seconds to do all these things. Oh, God. 20 oh, seconds no. of dice Even that. better, we chose to have 20 seconds rather than 10, 10. seconds. Jeez. Oh, I know, and it's gorgeous. I'm looking yeah. at the copy yeah. now. Cuphead the video game is, is a thing that fascinated me because, yeah. I mean, I love the animation. I love the music. I love the whole concept behind it. There is no way in hell I can ever play that game. And this is another thing where it looks gorgeous. I like the ideas they're doing, but right there in the name, you got fast rolling dice game. Yeah. 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 This is not for me. I'm glad it exists. I'm glad you guys enjoy it. There is no way I'm going to play this game. So Joe, when are we subjecting Brian to this game? As soon as we finish Etherfields. Oh. It's a ton of fun, much like in the video game. As you beat bosses, you unlock things that you can purchase. You get money. There are achievements, which are pretty funny. So yeah, the game is it's firing in all cylinders. It's super cute. It's very well put together. I don't have a lot of experience with a lot of their other Opley's games, but like this one is uh, extremely solid. With such a small move set, you wouldn't expect the bosses to feel different but they feel really different. The way that they combine the different dice faces that you need to get and then how they mess with that later on is yeah. really interesting. And yeah, it was torturous for me, Brian. <laughs> <I get laughs> it was so oh, yeah. it was so You're rolling three dice, like, I just need one <laughs> dice face. I just one dice face. No, no. Ah, ah, sorry, guys. Well, thanks for <laughs> jumping on that grenade for me. Yeah. <laughs> and just to Joe's credit, I had some extra Amazon credit on my Amazon card and I just bought one. All uh, right. So <laughs> Joe gets a point. <laughs> It's not super pricey either, right? It's like mm-hmm. 40 bucks, right? And it's yeah. it, tons of fun, tons of fun. Like if you're looking for a game that like it's super easy to teach, super easy to play, right? Mm-hmm. Mechanically, it's not hyper deep, which is totally fine because all the tension is in the time limiting. Right. And also the game does, as you go through bosses, it does clever things. It does things that are surprising within the milieu of the game. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, wait, what? That? <laughs> I didn't think okay. that was going to be a thing. Yeah, it's super cute. Yeah, so. even like the it. weapons feel really different, like yeah. how they trigger extra damage. Like, now it's like, now I need to worry about placement of these died. Oh, oh man. I'm very excited to see what other nonsense they subject mm-hmm. us to. And this does that thing that we were talking about, where it's like, every time you play, it just, here's a new rule. Mm-hmm. Just one. But it totally reconceptualizes what you've been doing. That that actually says a lot, Jason, the fact that you and I share that dice curse and the fact that you're still excited to play this again actually oh, yeah. says a lot. I didn't say I was good at the game. <laughs> but well, I we impl- can't have everything. <laughs> but I did enjoy playing it. Like I would love to watch your reaction watching us play it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. no, no. <laughs> yeah. My next one is Sleeping Gods, designed and illustrated by Ryan Lockett from Red Raven Games. Mike, you said earlier that Tainted Grail was sort of what you wanted Seventh Continent to be. Mm -hmm. I think this is what I wanted Seventh Continent to be, because you've got this whole very large, expansive, fixed map with a lot of detailed stories going on into different places. You've got some very innovative combat stuff going on when you're fighting monsters. The map doesn't change. You know, if you go to the same place in game one or game 15, it'll have the same stuff. 
But the map is so big and there's so many areas out there to explore and flesh out. It's like you'll come across a place and you'll meet a guy who tells you about a thing. It's like, oh my God, I saw that three games ago on the other side of the map. Now I know how to do the thing over there. You have to get, I think it's 10 runes or relics or whatever it is to achieve a, a positive ending. And there's over a hundred of them in the game. So they're just hidden all over the place and finding them is neat. It's really well written. It's mechanically very strong. I have always been kind of lukewarm on some of Ryan Lockett's previous designs, but this don't Heresy. Give me, don't give me that look. Okay, above and below. Yeah. Above and below, text, okay. but even near and far, I wasn't that crazy about. And near it was, and far, it was definitely better. Near and far was a better above and below, but now they've even got a new one, right? Uh, like yeah, that's something else. That's like a combination of both of them. Yeah. 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 Sleeping Gods is cool. Yeah, Sleeping Gods is brilliant, and I want to play more because there is still a lot that I haven't explored yet. The combat system is genius. It really is. You're basically placing these little markers as you do damage, which are either doing damage than getting close to kill it or disabling its special attacks. And they have to be consecutive. And when you score a hit, you can give somebody else your card, which will make their attacks better. Yeah, you line up all the monsters, then they form this gigantic target grid. Mm-hmm. As long as they're all connected, you can lay all the damage across, across them. them. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really clever. Have we as a group even finished a single game of that? Because it's no. the individual nope. games are very long. They can be, yeah. <laughs> we did not finish it. Okay. <laughs> our, our mission to, to <laughs> instead of seeking the gods' favor and murdering them, <laughs> yeah, we didn't finish that there one. There <laughs> are a, a couple different victory conditions you can find over the course of the game. It was like March, I think, that we yeah, played yeah. it. So a lot like Tainted Grail. It's We have not been getting it to the table often enough. Next year, weekly campaign game. Yeah. Night. Book it. My next game is actually an expansion that Joe got and sat in his room for many, many months. This is for Arkham Horror, right? Yes, it is. Uh, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> I kidnapped it. I kidnapped it. I kept it there. <laughs> Under lock and key. Spirit Island Jagged Earth finally came out. This is an expansion to Spirit Island from Eric Rose. Spirit Island is an excellent game. I still love this game. And I like all the new stuff that it's introduced. All of the new characters are interesting. They're different from what I've played. We haven't even played all of them because it's like double the number of spirits there are. It also introduces the six player map, which I'm excited to try at some point. Oh, it was great. Oh, it was great. That map is actually amazing because only someone who plays the game a lot will understand this. In the normal map, right, each of your grids has an equal distribution of all the terrain types. In the thematic map, that's not true. (laughs) There's like a big mountain that runs through and there's a big section of forest and a big section of desert. And so what that causes is that when things happen in a specific place, oh shoot, now it's all this player's problem to deal with (laughs) because it's mostly on their board. You fix that. We're going to go over here. It's surprising how much the thematic map is different from the normal map. Like, we were surprised, honestly surprised. Yeah, shocking. You can even play the thematic map at lower player counts. Maybe we need to start doing that more. There is so much to this game because we as a group have also not even gotten into, like, the flavored conquerors. Oh. Nemesis. Oh, yeah. And there's one more thing that we can do. Modifiers you can put on every yeah. game. Right? Like, there's two specific kinds. Like, I forget what they call them in the game, but they're functioning modifiers in the game, which is, like, certain things happen differently mm-hmm. in this game. Right? If anybody comes to me and says, want to play Spirit Island, I think I'm almost always going to be like, hell yeah, let's do it. The six-player one, like... <laughs> oh, God. As you can imagine, it took a while, but it was so engaging that it didn't feel like it took a long time. And another thing we noticed, Joe, I think we even commented at the time, because the map is so different, the interior stays safer for longer than Mm -hmm. in regular game, Hmm. because like a lot of the stuff comes from the the edges. And so like, because it's such a large map, you also have the problems like, well, now this is the turn where Joe's getting screwed over because he's got a lot of mountains or whatever. It's like, I don't have enough to bridge that gap to get my God's power over there. So you had to kind of change your traditional way of playing Mm -hmm. and realize, oh, I need to spread out more aggressively than I normally do. Hmm. Yeah, I would love to play that again. That was Mm -hmm. super fun. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my number two is going to be a Kickstarter game that I did not kickstart. (gasps) Mercifully, my friendly local game store did the retailer Kickstarter and I picked up a full copy of the Kickstarter for 
less than the Kickstarter people. <laughs> <laughs> that's how Kickstarter works. It's yeah, fine. totally. Sure Mostly because I didn't have to pay shipping. Right. right. But that's Unsettled. Designer Mark Nedlinger and Tom Matson, published by Orange Nebula LLC. And this is basically what would happen if someone made Red Dwarf into a board game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. That, that's a very accurate statement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, basically you're kind of cut adrift, lost in space or something for millions of years, and you have to go down on planets and stupid shit happens to you. (laughs) (laughs) What's interesting about this game is all of it, but particularly there are six planets. Each planet has a complete set of cards for the game, so there's only generic components in the base game. And then cards are all provided by these planets. Each planet has three flavored missions that use the cards from that planet. So you're completely swapping out the kind of tasks you're doing, how the planet works, what kind of things you could explore, what kind of hallucinations or distress (laughs) you get. The first planet is all about the hallucinations. Do you get to swim in a big pink lake? No, and no fluffy marshmallows. (laughs) But you are definitely trying to hallucinate. It's almost required to be, like, hallucinating. It's a jungle planet with all sorts of spores. Oh, God, the spores. Tentacle monsters. Slurp gurblers. Yes, slurp gurblers. (laughs) The best. The writing is funny. Yeah, it's worth noting. You're playing different characters. You can focus on different things. Like, this is a person that's focusing on science. This person is focusing on engineering. And... At no point do you ever attack anything, which is a pretty different from a lot yeah. of space exploration type games. You're scientists, and most scientists aren't packing assault rifles mm-hmm. as they explore planets. And the core part of the game is exploration of what the planet is, understanding you know the different locations, understanding the local ecosystems is hugely important. Yeah, and I understand it gets even more important later on in the game. And each game, as the components come out semi-randomly, can be completely different. Like, your objectives may change, but... Even hey, with the same mission. Yeah. Because the or the map layout is random, and what comes out, what hallucinations you get, because you're only going to mm. get four hallucinations in a game out of 16. Mm. So one of the parts of the game is learning about the planet, and you've got three different categories. When you finish that learning, you get a nice little marker, which helps you complete some mission things, possibly some cards or whatever. But it also gives you a permanent power. Mm-hmm. That costs resources, one of the three colored resources that you're also spending time to Mm -hmm. pick up. And the final resource is focus, which you have three dice. They're not dice, they Mm -hmm. are markers just to track zero to four, how much of that resource you have. There are some dice in the game, but they're only to vary from one to three for when resources come out for two of the resources. The rest of the game is all very thinky resource management, puzzle. But even then, there are a lot of adventure cards. One of the things you can do is explore to try to do an adventure, which will require you to spend resources to finish the adventure, which will get you a one-shot card, which are sometimes obscenely powerful. Mm -hmm. And of course, all of these cards are getting swapped out when we move to the next planet. Right. So you get six full sets of those. And a pretty simple system you can teach in five minutes, tops. I would like to point out some of the mechanical similarities to Arkham Horror of the LCG. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. You're right. They are very similar games with just different flavors. Although I will say one of my favorite things about this game is when you are making your character, you get a player board and you have to pick a face for your character. Yeah. <laughs> and most games would have like the male version, female version on opposite sides of the token. This game is silly glasses or sand silly glasses. Yeah, sunglasses or not, with one of them being a dead ringer for Bootsy Collins sunglasses. <laughs> the name is Bootsy, baby. Your character has like, what, two or three actions on their turn normally? Two actions and a rest, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're always resting to recharge one of your dice markers. But a lot of the, the puzzle of the game is figuring out, okay, I can do these two things as actions. I have all these other opportunities to do free actions that came yeah. from my special abilities or maybe from discovering slurp gerblers and what they do. <laughs> and it's really fascinating because, like, as you get further along, as you understand more and more about the planet, you have more and more capacity to do things because, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, we understand this ecosystem better. We can do more actions each turn. So you become more and more efficient as the game goes on, which I think is one of the things that, like, I had to key in on. I'm like, oh, 
I'm not just doing two actions on my turn. I'm doing all these other things. And three actions can be done on anybody's turn. As which, long as you spend the resource and are in the right place. Yes, yep. which changes things tremendously. So it's a fascinating puzzle. I'm looking forward to playing more of it. I, yeah. I got to teach it. Turn order and location are extremely interactive. Mm-hmm. It's a little prone to quarterbacking because of the you know location thing. And all that's pretty much laid out, which is a downside. Still, the game's just so compelling. It's also got one of the best organizers I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Most of the things are actually in trays that you just pop out around the table and go. It does take up quite a bit of table real estate. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is not a small game. Yeah. yeah, Mike and I played it on that table in there. We barely crammed everything on that. That was just a two-player game. Just oh, a, totally. a regular kitchen table, like a breakfast Isn't table. Isn't going to do it. Didn't work. It's also got these gorgeous, tall, like 50-millimeter miniatures. Oh, yeah. Um, they like to fall over. <laughs> they're a yeah, little top-heavy. Yeah, agreed. I don't think I'd even actually heard of that one. So it's I was, somebody who's in our gaming group was like another Kickstarter addict and was like ranting about it. I took a look. And it's like, wow. Oh, it's Orange Nebula. Wow. Yeah. yeah you know they're going to crank out more planets. Like it's just screaming for expansions. So oh, yeah. I'm sure we're next it year. It seems we're very expandable. Yeah. Yeah. My last one is probably the simplest one out of all the ones we've talked about. Ravwell Second Edition mm. came out in 2021. Yeah. Mike. Mike knows what I'm talking about. Designed by Corey Young released by Renegade Game Studios. So in Gravwell, you're in charge of a ship that is being pulled into one of two different Gravwells. And your whole goal is to escape it within a certain amount of turns. And the way you move your ship is by moving in relation to the other objects around you, be that other ships, floating cargo containers. Space junk. Space junk, yeah. I think they actually call it space junk. And so the way you do this is you have cards, and these cards have an element on them, and they have one of four different ways of moving. You can pull yourself a certain number of spaces towards the nearest object. You can push yourself a certain number of spaces from the closest object. You can pull everything in the board towards you a certain number of spaces, (laughs) or push everything in the board away from you a certain number of spaces. And the way that the turn order is done, this can play up to six players now with this new version of the game, which is insanity. That sounds like a lot. When everyone plays their card face down, which one they've selected, they all reveal them, and then it's done in alphabetical order based off of the elements. So you could have, like, Argon, and it'll be a two-push. Well, Argon two-push is going to go faster than Oxygen three-pull. So you're trying to balance, okay, I'm closest to Mike, I'm in front of Mike, so I'm going to push off of Mike. But if I go after someone else who went before me, they get closer to me than Mike, now I'm pushing away from them, pushing myself backwards towards the black hole that I don't want to go into. So it's it's utter chaos. Much like a black hole pulling in time itself. <laughs> this game also has a black hole of time where I'm going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe when my turn rolls around, it will still be the thing I want to do. <laughs> so, sounds like it's got a little bit of the uh, Robo Rally bit going it does. on. It's like, it does. This was a good idea at the time. It <laughs> has a faster play iteration than mm-hmm. Robo Rally, though, which makes it a lot more bearable. Although I will say by the end of the six-player game, I was, I was feeling it a little bit. But the fascinating thing about the six-player game is that three players start on one grav well. Yes. Three players start on the opposite grav well, and then you win by getting to the one that you didn't start at. So, mm-hmm. it like, as the game goes, eventually these two groups are going to meet each other mm-hmm. in the middle, and all hell will break loose. Yeah, and in the distribution of the movement cards, most of the movement cards are pull cards, because when you're starting the game... The space junk is in front of you, and that's technically the closest thing to you, so you want to be pulling towards it. Well, after you pass that space junk, now the closest thing to you is the space junk behind you. Now you want push cards. Mm. And you're like, oh no, I don't have any push cards. I'm in trouble. So you each round you have an emergency stop card you can flip once per round. And the new addition also introduces unique powers to each ship that are different for each ship. So you have to achieve them by either doing something like pass three other ships on a single round or something. I had one that was ramming speed, which is when you cross another player, you stop moving in their space and they complete the rest of your movement (laughs) or something along those lines. Oh, man, weird. The other way you can charge them is not by accomplishing the the goal, it says, but by not using your emergency stop that round. Mm. If you don't have to use your emergency stop, you can choose one to charge. And they all do different things. Like, I had one that let me um, perform a push, like, one before I activated my movement card. So that could, like, get something closer or further away from you so you could activate and do what you wanted. 
it's not a game you can take super seriously. Like, I don't think you're going to math out, oh, here's sure. the optimum plate. It's just, here's some fun chaos, let's go. And yes, the six-player game's going to run a bit long, because, like, there's a point where everyone kind of converges in the middle, then it's like, oh, no, everyone's cards are interacting with each other and screwing everybody's turns up. That being said, I think it's like a six-round timer or five-round timer. Our six-player game ended on round three, because just the way things broke it down. It clicked down, all right. Oh. My friend Anthony recommended this, and he bought it at Gen Con, and I finally got to play it. I find it charming, and it's fun just to, here's a nice little, like, let's not think too hard about this. Let's just have some fun chaos. My number one game for the last year is Time Stories Blue. Suck it, Mike. <laughs> oh! <laughs> it's revenge for, for while, Arkham Joe. <laughs> I love this game, Joe. I don't know why I'm sucking it. Are we playing more of it? Like, is that is that how you're punishing me? Cause... Exactly. <laughs> Bring designed it? by uh, Kevin Delap, Melissa Delap, and Emmanuel Rogzi. Designed by Space Cowboys. Specifically, it's Time Stories Revolution, I think is what they're calling the blue cycle. I think so. I continue to be a huge fan of functionally all of the writing they've been doing around Time Stories, all of the clever designs they've been able to experience. I can't talk about a lot of it because a lot of it's spoilers. But so one thing the blue season has going for it is you are all specifically characters. And so there's an after the game phase where you are... Doing stuff back at base and dealing with drama that's happening back at base. And over the course of the game, you get XP that you can spend on abilities, which you take into missions, which makes each of the characters play a little differently. Like, oh, hey, I'm their own ability tree. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason Joe is telling me to suck it is because I've voiced a concern Mm -hmm. that the white box series has set a very, very high bar for itself. And I'm concerned that they are not going to reach that bar again. We've played the first two, so we've played, uh, Mike and I have played the Hadal Project in Midsummer's Night, and they were both different and interesting and had interesting stuff going on, so I'm excited to see more of it. I mean, my biggest complaint, as always, is they release really slowly. And I think that combined with the pandemic and global shipping crisis and everything else, I think they have lost a lot of momentum. Yeah, yeah. for sure. This game has been out for a year and change, and there's like three episodes. There's two out, and there's one coming in 2022. Exactly. So they have lost a lot of momentum. So I hope they can catch back up because like you i really like a lot of what they did in the original series and i'm keen to see where this one goes mm-hmm. has their writing gone, uh, in terms of is it the, more english yes that's <laughs> kind of where i was going with that uh, i know I the mean, original it, had some uh, issues there's still some frenchiness mm. in some of the language <laughs> stuff i think that still happens occasionally i didn't notice it as much in the ones i've played but honestly with the white series as well the majority of it was fine there's just a couple places where it gets a little <laughs> head scratchy yeah, yeah. I've only played the first adventure, but I I want to see more. The thing that we haven't really seen yet is the in-between game and the the payoff, because that's where you go and customize your character a little bit. And since there are only two missions, that has much. (laughs) Right. You don't do it before you play the first one, which seems weird. You feel like they would at least introduce like, hey, here's your character and a special power that you get as that character, but they strictly do that between the first and second box, which was weird. Mm -hmm. That's a choice. I'm enjoying it so far. I'm just high bar. That's all I'm saying. I I agree. And like, they are they are behind where they were in terms of the white cycle release in terms of speed, right? Everything has slowed down a lot. Hopefully that will pick back up. My number one has been a latecomer for me, and it's mostly a board game. I just happen to be playing it a lot on my computer, and that is Gloomhaven Digital. As I have ranted endlessly on this show before, Gloomhaven is an absolutely brilliant design, and I love it. But especially the original base game, there is a lot of setup and tear down, a lot of components, a lot of things to keep track of. And having a digital version of the campaign that does all that stuff for you, doesn't have to worry about picking up and putting down, handles the fog of war, is just brilliant. And I've put way, way too many hours into it. They now have the full out-of-the-box original Gloomhaven campaign that is, other than a few very small changes that they had to make just for the sake of computerizing things, It's exactly like you would get in the board game. There's also a whole separate what they call Guildmaster mode, where basically you start off with a tutorial section that shows you the mechanics that basically collects you each of the six starting characters. You basically just have an increasing pool of heroes that you're choosing to go for this branching storyline world map thing. And it's like, if you infuse the dark element 20 times, you unlock one character. I Hmm. I don't want to spoil any character names. And if you kill... 
20 of this monster, you unlock this other character. So you're gradually unlocking all the other classes and you can choose any combination of them to go on any particular mission to suit things out. The one problem with Guildmaster mode is that there is never enough money because (laughs) you have to try and keep all these characters equipped and there's just not enough loot for it. But it's really well put together. It is harder than the board game because A, you can't see everything ahead of time, you know, when you're setting up the map and also you can't Like in the board game, if it's like, oh, wait, that guy has retaliate this round. I didn't want to attack him. You don't have some of the abilities to undo and correct things without restarting the whole round. And we should say not from a, oh, I didn't mean I actually wanted to do this other thing. It's, oh, I didn't realize that that guy had retaliate. Right, exactly. Or, you know, I clicked the wrong card and three other people have taken their actions. And well, that's not what I wanted to do. And there's not really a way to fix it other than going back and restarting the round. I really recommend it if they come out with the expansion or Joe's the Lion or Frosthaven for this. I will absolutely buy it. It's very pretty. Everything's fully animated, and I have spent stupid amounts of time playing. Yeah, even the Guildmaster mode is pretty much as good as the Gloomhaven. Yeah, exactly. It's a different way of playing, but it's just as good. The adventures are pretty well put together. You know, I will say that this is regular Gloomhaven, so it is not the most intuitive thing to start. If you're not it familiar with through the board a nice game. tutorial, yeah, the, yeah, that's it, it, actually it teaches you the whole thing. It teaches you the whole thing, but the whole economy of managing your cards and that sort of thing is yeah, takes some wrapping your brain around. It's a thing to learn how the Gloomhaven mechanics work. But yeah. once you've done that, it's a it's a brilliant game, and I love it. So are you playing it four-handed, like you're playing all four characters yourself? Uh, If you put four characters in a party, you are, or it does multiplayer. You can do it online with folks, and if anybody here wants to try the multiplayer, I would be happy to jump in on some of that. You can maybe watch us in the future playing it on Co-op Fridays over at Codab Games on Twitch. Ooh, keep plugging. Uh, (laughs) On the one hand, you're trying to juggle four characters worth of stuff, but on the other hand, you can coordinate stuff a lot better, because in the board game, it's kind of like, well... I'm going fast and I'm probably going to kill this guy is about the extent of what you're See, doing. I really like that tension in the board game. Mm-hmm. I would be sad to lose it. I like. Right. I was like, I'm like, man, I'd rather play this with four different people because I'm like, I really like the tension of, well, how fast are you going? Human fast or normal fast? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, because humans, oddly fast. So fast. The fastest. So fast. Yes. So fast. But yeah, that's me. My third game is Dune Imperium, a game in which I totally did not forget about playing this year. <laughs> the developer is Direwolf Games, and the creator was Paul Denon. This game is deep. There is so much going on in Dune Imperium. It's really odd for such a simple game. It is a deck builder, worker placement, territory control, mini battler. There are three spots that you can control. Do not look at me like <laughs> You're that. not wrong. There is territory control, technically. But, like, it does a great job of capturing the flavor of Dune in a board game that you do not have to have six people and all day to play. Which is really what I'm looking for in a Dune game. There's lots of punching of all of your friends. There's lots of aggressive worker placements. It's a shared worker placement pool, so it's a lot of like, oh man, I really wanted that space and you took it from me, you jerk. You will pay for that, Harkon. You will pay for that. (laughs) They do a really good job of using their cards for multiple purposes, which I always enjoy that mechanic within a game, although some games do it better than others, and I think this one is a very good example of how can a single card be used in every aspect of the gameplay? Yeah, so every card has a top and a bottom section. So whenever you place a pawn, you actually have to play a card out of your hand. Mm-hmm. And that card indicates what options you have for placing that pawn. You mm-hmm. can't place a pawn anywhere. You're limited by the cards that are in your hand. For every card that you don't use to place pawns, you then play at the end of the round getting whatever's on the bottom of the card, which might be money might be combat strength, might be some random bonus depending on the board state. And so there's a beautiful tension between, oh, well, this card lets me place upon anywhere, but if I hold on to it, I get eight Solaris mm-hmm. uh, during the collection phase, and I can really use the money, so... Okay, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but this is a point salad game in a game where you win when you get to 10 points. Because... Everything you do will potentially get you points. Mm -hmm. Getting allies within the four factions will get you points. Winning combat will get you points. Buying cards will get you points. The only thing that doesn't 
directly get you points is the resource generation, I think. So that's kind of an odd, like, this point salad, but but the game is over at 10. So it doesn't outstay its welcome. Yeah, it's kind of a race. Whoever gets to 10 points first wins. And then if multiple people get to 10 points in the same turn, which I've seen happen a couple of times now, then whoever gets the highest wins. My number one game was easy. It's a Kickstarter, which uh, I didn't kickstart. After just reading the rules, I was like, wow, I should get this. Found a copy on the secondary market. Then after playing it, promptly managed to track down most of the important expansions for it. Is it Arkham Horror, the LCG? Amazingly enough, it is not. <laughs> uh, this is Chronicles of Drunagor, oh, Age of Darkness. Is. Hey, I painted mine. That's a lot That's of freaking That's a sign that this is a game <laughs> yes. of quality. Just from the little bit you showed us, like, I'm down. I would I'm play with, more. I'm, I'm in. I'm you already in. got the points from me. I already bought everything. Yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah, they do everything right in that game. Absolutely everything right. And some weird choices. I mean, it's a dungeon crawl. Yeah, it's co-op campaign, but, uh, but there's no line of sight. So it's a little weird. If you open a door, sometimes that room will be adjacent and you can fire through what were walls a moment ago. It works. It still totally works. And not having line of sight is just bonkers. Hmm. There's a a 3D board and some doors that kind of sit up that have the instructions for the next room, which are cute. And that was with their big selling point, which kept me from buying the game. But there's a lot of other clever. The range of anything is determined by what color cube you play. And a lot of your choices, basically, you can choose multiple cubes. Let's create some kind of weird effects where you're throwing your axe or something, but... Hey, it works. The character progression was also really cool. Oh really my like god, the character progression. There are basically 10 skills you can upgrade over time, as well as a skill tree of 12 stats. Then you get periodically new weapons. There are pets for some of the pet management classes. And then even as they structured, you know, there's a whole bunch of add-ons. But the way the main campaign is written, in most cases... You're given generic monsters. You're given three white monsters, two gray monsters, and a black monster spawn in this room. And gradually, if you bought the expansions, you build up decks with white, gray, and black monsters, and you just pull one out of the deck. So all those expansions come straight into the main campaign, mm-hmm. uh, except for the bosses. But even then, there's ways of integrating those bosses and some of the extra bits. Mm. So they just made that seamless. If anything, the game's a little easy, surprisingly. Well, they corrected that supposedly in the new version, right? Yeah, and basically including some different AI for monsters, which is terrifying. (laughs) When you say new version, is this a 2E or? So basically they they did a reprint with new stuff. And then they decided, hey, a lot of people have said that it's too easy. So they also incorporated new rules and I think a new player sheet. harder, Harder monsters. Uh, so they've increased the difficulty of the monsters cards and all you really need is the monster cards. Mm-hmm. Each monster card consists of hit points when they go on the initiative track. So here's my question for you for someone like you, Frank, that already owns all of it. I'm tempted to just rebuy it. No, they've got a, no. they have an upgrade. It's kit? an upgrade kit. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, totally. As well, there's an expansion that goes on after this campaign, which is scary because our characters are just practically gods walking in, smiting <laughs> things. Shit, Frank, this you're giant- going to get another point from me in this game <laughs> Mike, as well. Mike, no, I already own this all of it. giant four-space creature uh, when we played Thursday. I think Sandy got two headshots and just one-shot kills on <laughs> <Wow. that>. <laughs> <laughs> Because she's an archer menace, because mm-hmm. she's Sandy. <laughs> she's a 3-5 archer. One of those Legolas types. Yeah. Totally. I will darken the sky with arrows. Yeah. But you do so much on your turn. Turns are complex. There are dice you roll to attack, but... There's a lot of, my character has magic missiles, and for the most part, I don't roll dice. That's the character (laughs) for me. (laughs) Yeah, so totally. In each character class, you can build out probably three different ways. And depending on how you focus on your skill trees and skills, have a pretty different build. And then if you got the stretch goals, there's another dozen characters hiding in the stretch goals and things. I would definitely be down to play some more of that. Oh, yeah. That was really fun. really Uh, good. They don't do that thing where those stretch goals are impossible to find, except on the secondary market where they're extraordinary amounts of money, do they? I was able to find them mostly because they were all reprinted in the second campaign. Okay. I think they still do light pledges, though. Okay. And they're doing everything, so yeah. That's good. Yeah. But that is a, I mean, it's a great, great game. Very clever. They did everything right. Yep. And they've got vacuum form plastic, which oh, oh, oh. is always good. The one thing they didn't do right, 
oh my god, they're game trays. I don't know what is wrong with game trays. They just have started no, they, coughing they, up. They fixed that in the new one. Yeah, yeah. They, they've got the new token tray because it's like <laughs> the, the original token tray was not good. The original token tray is not good. The original like darkness tile tray is one tile too thin to oh, hold the darkness no. tiles. Oh, no. They're not really good at holding and they're not well thought out. And yeah, there's a mm. lot of issues with the game trays. That's a shame. But yeah. But the game is good. The game, the game is, is good. Is the game is great. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait for that to ship in sometime in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they were pretty good about getting it out fairly quickly. Well, I don't so. think it's in their hands anymore. Yeah, like, I don't think they have any control over it. I know. Like, that's going to be like a pallet's worth of crap when they finally ship it to Supposedly, me. Supposedly, <laughs> some of the blocks are, are like, you know, breaking up and, and starting good. to level out. Yeah, and yeah, we may start getting anyway. stuff. I mean, I've gotten kick. I got a Kickstarter yesterday. <laughs> I did, too. It was a teeny tiny one. But. <laughs> I think what we have all learned today is that we enjoyed gaming in 2021 and we need to do it a lot more like a weekly campaign board game night because we have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, and there's only more coming out next year. Yeah. So we got a, we got a lot of ground to cover. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we hope all of you out there in podcast land have also had a, a good or at least safe and tolerable year. Stay safe. May 2022 be better for all of us. Hope you get to play more games. And, uh, you know, again, unless the meteorite hits, we'll be here talking to you next month. Bye. Bye. Rock the Casbah, guys. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. My last game on my list was The Initiative, which we've already talked about. So I'm going to replace this with the thought of a board game. <laughs> no, oh, replace dear. it with Dune Imperium. No, that's yours. No, I already did all three of mine. I forgot about Dune Imperium. We've all forgotten Dune Imperium? We've Dune all Imperium. forgotten Dune Imperium. We're bad gamers. Dune Imperium was Dune really good. Dune Imperium was really good, okay? <laughs>